Welcome back. My name is Dan Thoreau, and I am joined today by a very special guest, Tom Chick. Dan, I love your mom. After you've told me that she wrote your <laughs> opening music, your mom rocks. Yes, my mom uh, has her PhD in music theory. She still teaches at the community college. Whoa. And she made my intro music, so I will always use it. When you explained that to me before we started, I pictured like, you, you know, your, your graying old kindly mother who just <laughs> in her retirement is like, I'm going to write my, my son a song, but she's a PhD in music. Of course she writes you a song. That's cool. Yes. I, uh, I went and I asked her specifically so she could make me a song and she did. Nice. The same day, actually. Oh, well, okay. I mean, she I don't. emailed it to me like four hours later. You weren't like, uh, Mom, you could have put a little more time into this. <laughs> <laughs> she sent it to me as a rough draft, and I said, oh, that's great. I don't, I don't know music theory. I don't know what to tell you to improve. <laughs> and I feel like anything I could say would make you feel bad. So is it too fast? Why would you say it's too fast? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, Tom, thank you so much for uh, being with me here today. I'm extra excited to speak with you. You are one of the finest written critics of video games. And actually, I get a little annoyed whenever you write about board games. Because uh, the crossover? Uh... No, beca because I feel like I, I have a good thing going. Oh, right, game, right. And then suddenly you show up and kick my butt. <laughs> Dan, there's plenty of room for all of us. Don't be silly. <laughs> all right, I won't be so selfish. So people know, I uh, we often record these in advance. It is the second of April. So it is not April Fool's, but we are in the middle of a coronavirus lockdown. Tom, how are you surviving your lockdown? Um, it's weird. It's kind of surreal. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm getting groceries delivered just fine. I'm able to avoid going out. I've got plenty to do to occupy myself. Um, but as I mentioned to you before we started, I haven't like talked directly in real time to an actual person. Like I, I do that so rarely now. I used to, right. I used to be part of what I did with board games. Is it was a big part of my my social interaction with people. And since we're not playing board games, I'm just kind of sitting here twiddling my thumbs. So, uh, I'm doing fine, and it makes me all the more excited to sit down and talk with you directly in real time. It is one of the horrifying ironies of our hobby that for me, board games are my outlet socially. And now it's a hobby that is almost a danger. Well, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about this. Uh, I, and I guess in a way they, they feel like such different experiences, but I do a ton of solitaire board gaming. Like when I think of board games, it's kind of 50-50. Stuff I do with my friends, stuff I do alone. Yeah. Uh, and it's just the stuff that I do with my friends. That's weird. And it also, and I'm sure it's like this with you, Dan, I've got like a big shelf of games and most of it's kind of out of commission at this point. Yeah. Like in, in any given day, I could look at all my games and think, oh, you know what? This Thursday, we should totally play like Archipelago or well, yeah. whatever. And that's, that game is shut down along with, uh, you know, part of social distancing is board games don't work, uh, which is really annoying. Some of them. Have you tried anything on Tabletop Simulator or is it too herky-jerky for you? You know, it's not. And I feel weird about this because some of my friends also – with whom I play board games have uh, basically said, hey, we should try something like Tabletop Simulator or a game that has asynchronous support. Um, and to be honest, Dan, I have no interest in that sort of thing because when I'm at a computer, 
there's a whole other kind of gaming that I associate that with. So for me, swapping in board games where video games normally live, it just feels weird. And furthermore, I'm just so in love with the tactile element of board games, of cards, yeah. of dice, of having everything at my fingertips. Also, of having complete control over the way the systems work. You know, if I don't understand it, it won't happen. Uh, and that's never the case with video games. And that's part of the appeal of video games in a way, is you relinquish some of that control. But that's one of the things I love about board games is the immediacy and the control and the tactile element. So I haven't fiddled with any of those things that you're talking about uh, by choice. Is that something yeah. you're doing? Um, a little bit. I, I definitely know where you're coming from. Just the other day, I have a board game that was sent to me as a review copy, and it's it's not one I'm actually excited about. I didn't request it. Um, a publisher say the name. just you have to say the name. Everybody's wondering. I know everyone. It's uh, it's Black Angel, <laughs> and I'm not super excited about it because I I just haven't heard good things, and I it just it just looks. I, I don't even know. I, I don't want to prejudge it. Maybe I'll love it. But well, even let me though... help you real quickly with, with Black Angel, Dan. Uh, Black Angel is uh, not as good as it should be, but it's better than I think a lot of people think. So oh, okay. there you go. I, I found well, it I'll intriguing. Look for that nugget. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, that's the thing is there's, there's stuff there that makes it worth playing. I found it intriguing. I really love those guys' work. Um, it, it's not something that I would just dismiss. Uh, there's cool okay. stuff in there. So. Well, I've had it for like six months. <laughs> so I'm sorry, you were saying you know, about trying these like table to well, game yeah. so, top so, simulator So Black things. Angel, I, I opened it and punched it mm -hmm. just to feel that, you know, yeah. that cardboard dust on my fingers yeah. um, because I, I miss that in-person experience. But I do play a lot of games um, solo. But yes, I am. I have been doing some tabletop simulator stuff, and I have been playing Vassal. I've been playing a, an extended right. coin game. I've been doing Cuba Libre with some friends, mm -hmm. um, which isn't the same because there's a lot of negotiation in a coin game. As so, you've right. played Fire in the Lake. I, right. Have you right. played any of the other coin games? Uh, let's see. So I, I'm always tempted to lump into coin games, and I know they're not like all of those card-based historical games from Twilight Struggle on. So coin, right? Uh, Fire in the Lake. The Lake um is it a distant plane what's the afghanistan one yes a distant plane uh, uh and then i haven't played cuba libre what are the other coin ones is labyrinth coin yeah labyrinth is, no right? labyrinth is still Ugh. local runke but it isn't uh it isn't coin but it, it's it's a precursor to coin it has some similarities i guess then uh probably fire in the lake is the only one i've played uh but no i've heard i mean cuba libre is one of the earlier ones or yeah no? it's the second okay. one and it's the okay. simplest one it's it's the easiest entry point by far you mm -hmm. you picked the hard one oh fire in the lake is insane isn't it yeah. yeah yeah it's tough um i think we're going to be doing a live play on tabletop simulator next week next week and i'm dreading it a little bit just trying to remember all the peccadillos of all the little act the ops and the special activities and we'll see if it even works uh in a virtual environment because that's one of those games where you know, you can sit and kind of look at your special card and evaluate mm -hmm. the board from different angles. And there's a lot of movement. A lot of people get up and eat pizza while they're playing. So I'm, I'm not sure it's going to work. We'll find out. Will you, will you be playing with people who know the game system well, who know the rules? I believe so. And that should help. Okay. Um, I, I hope so. <laughs> the mistake I made, Dan, was 
uh, I love teaching board games. I, I have no component. I have no problem sitting down playing a board game with people who don't know it. Uh, and that was the case with Fire in the Lake. And Fire in the Lake is just really difficult to get people up to speed on just because there's so much there. So I made little folders for each of the <laughs> factions that I was teaching. And it was only in the course of actually playing the game that I kind of realized, yeah, that's probably not the best way to do it. Uh, but I think it was one of those games that I just didn't fully appreciate. So I think I taught it wrong. Uh, and it's just a really difficult game to teach. Yeah. But I look forward to hearing how your, your online game goes. Well, I, I hope it goes well. So have you been playing some solo games during your uh, forced hiatus? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, and also, Dan, easily way more than than video gaming. Uh, I just find. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of solitaire gaming. So I have and this is kind of weird at this point. So I'm about to set up a third one. I have three table surfaces. And this is one of the advantages, I think, of a bachelorhood <laughs> that I can set up whatever I want and leave it there as long as I want. So I'm jealous. Oh, it is such, and I realize too, it's such a luxury that, that not many people enjoy. I'm very fortunate there. So I've got a dining room table, I've got an office table, and then there's an extra room in the back of the house, and I found a big old table that I had in the garage. I dragged it in yesterday, and I'm in, in the process of setting it up now. And so I've got solitaire games going, basically three of them in, in process at this point. Uh, well, so what and are they, so, What and, and why don't you give us some details on the, the most interesting one? The most interesting one I actually just took down because it, I've been doing also videos. If you go to, uh, I think my YouTube video channel is called Quarter to Three. It's named after the, the site that I run. Uh, and if you go to that channel on YouTube, I've been doing daily updates of whatever I'm playing on my dining room table. Oh, and okay. the game that I just took down from there, uh, I don't like most dungeon crawls because I think that there's a template that too many of them hew too closely to. Uh, but there's one that's actually kind of obscure. It was based on a Kickstarter from first time designers and developers and publishers. Um, it was one of those miniatures boondoggles. And I never would have thought that it would be any good, but it's a rare dungeon crawler that I actually really like called Deep Madness. Uh, it's horror themed. It's got, of course, the obligatory Lovecraftian angle. But as far as a dungeon crawl, the guys who made it have put in some really elegant, interesting systems that are constantly interacting with each other, whether it's a facet of how the monsters work or what the characters do or what's happening in the environment or the gear that the characters have. Um, so that's the one that I've been most fascinated with. But I felt guilty that I was just making deep madness videos every day. So <laughs> I, I forced myself to put that aside uh, and I took a vote for what to set up next. So now I'm playing a game from plaid hat in their adventure book series where you've got a little spiral bound oh, book. Is it, is it aftermath? Yes, it is aftermath. Uh, so so I, I'm in the middle I've been curious of curious about that one. Have you tried any of the other adventure book games, uh, I, stuffed fables or, or Comanots? So I have, and not to great effect. Um, I haven't Was been it a fan of fables? the other ones. Yeah, I didn't like stuffed fables. Um, Mice and Mystics even was hit or miss for me. Right. Uh, well, I don't Comanots, know. Dan, I don't, those, uh, stuffed fables and Mike, Mice and Mystics, those are for babies. 
you know, and little kids. Right. That's that's I that's one of the reasons I got them was to play with my daughter. Ah, uh, um, okay, right. Yeah. And even she was I it, it was in an awkward place where it was uh the story was for kids, uh, but the systems were a little too grown yeah. up for her. Yeah. So the thing with Aftermath is I think they bring – the story's a little less precious. It's, it's still kind of cutesy. Uh, but instead of using dice, they do some really cool – they swap out that dice system for a really cool uh, card play system that's interactive amongst all the characters you're playing in a cool way. And they've got a persistent kind of colony slash base management survival thing going uh, that links all the missions that I really enjoy. So it, it's – it's still kind of cutesy, uh, but nowhere near as as bad as Stuffed Fables. And I didn't play a lot of Comanot, so I can't really compare it to that. Um, but yeah, so Aftermath I've got now in the dining room. Uh, and I'm really enjoying that. And I encourage you, uh, if, if you've got it, certainly, uh, give that a shot. It's better than the other two. Yeah, they didn't. They haven't sent me that one. They're apparently sending me Forgotten Waters, which is their upcoming Dead of Winter Gen 7 Crossroads oh. game. Okay. Um, and apparently it's the, the way they've described it is a cross between an RPG and a party game, which um, both fascinates and repulses me. Yeah. So, wow. We'll, okay. So we'll see how that turns out. Um, the way they were describing it when I talked to Colby, I actually interviewed him last week um, and it, he, he, he managed to pitch it quite well, but then he would. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. RPG cross with party game. I, I mean, I, I love the different i love how plaid hat does very different kinds of things so even if it, there's a plaid hat game i don't like i'm usually glad i at least tried it yeah in many ways they're the they're the company that brought me into the hobby um with summoner wars oh that's right that was plaid hat i forgot yeah, yeah yeah that was that was colby's first game uh that he did on his own and i have i have followed them very closely ever since through thick and thin you could say mm-hmm. but they only recently are uh back to being independent. So I'm excited to see what they do. They're even considering a second edition of Summoner Wars, which I'm pretty excited for. Oh, yeah. I think that would that would go well for them, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, um, especially with all the advantage of hindsight. Did you ever play Summoner Wars? Yep, yep, uh, I did. I, I love it. So, Dan, I am a sucker for asymmetry. Anything oh, yeah. that has asymmetrical sides, uh, I immediately am a little bit in love with it before I've even tried it. Uh, so I love that element of Summoner Wars. Yeah, to me, it's part of like digital real-time strategy games. Mm, yeah, you know, playing StarCraft in its heyday, or Warcraft Three, and how well they leveraged their asymmetry in a in just a very tight, well-tested environment. Right. Um, right. And whenever one of these companies comes out with a game that's so carefully designed to have asymmetry, especially something like Summoner Wars, where they've got 16 factions and none of them play anything like the others, uh, I can't even help myself. Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I just get so excited and have to play them all, even even the ones I don't like. Okay, so I'm doing that thing where I can't think of a game's name. Uh, it's a plaid hat game that is based on – it's the goofiest thing uh, – Different factions have been dropped on like a prison planet, and you go on a grid. City the... of Remnants. Thank you. I never would have thought of that. Uh, yeah, City of Remnants, which has its issues, but I loved what they did. And that was Plaid Hat, right? That was, yeah. Yeah, I loved what they did with that one, and that's that's an example, too, of it felt very much like an RTS. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they, they remade it recently. Uh, 
Did you play Neon Gods? I didn't, and I I heard some. So it seemed like Neon Gods was pulling back from some of the intricacy it of did. City of Remnants. So yeah, I'm I'm basically not interested in in pulling back from the intricacy. It's one of the things I liked about City of Remnants. You didn't you didn't care for Neon Gods? I did not. Yeah. Um, it was it was too streamlined. Um, it was one of those games where the original was. To use to use an example that I think is a game you think of fondly, a little bit like the difference between a study in Emerald first and second edition. Yes, right. Where the exactly. first edition has it has some jagged edges, it has some stuff you need to explain. It can end in different ways. Someone will be confused and complain about it the first time you play, but it's not about the first play. It's about the third play and the fifth play and the meta game right. you get going with people and how it. It just keeps unfolding uh, new subtleties as you play. And then you play the second edition and it's a cute deck builder and you're, you're done. What surprises me about those is I, it surprises me when these second editions come out that cut out what makes the per- – that cuts out a substantial part of the personality of the first game. And it makes me think that sometimes designers really should ignore feedback. Like I, I mean it's, it's not like they canceled the first edition of Study in Emerald or City of Remnants, but to then think, okay, well, let's make a version of this that doesn't have elements A, B, and C, but preserves elements X, Y, and Z, and then it turns out that without A, B, and C, there's nothing special there, uh, and how do they not realize that? Uh, so yeah, I'm happy to skip uh, Neon Gods and the second edition of uh, Study in Emerald. So if you don't mind me asking a little bit about your background, Tom, mm-hmm. um, now, you and I have something a little bit in common, so it's my understanding that you have a degree in theology. I do. I'm a master. This this sounds really, this is almost like comic booky. Okay, I am I'm a master of, here we go, Tom Chick, comma, master of theological studies, and oh, then maybe man. make like a lightning bolt effect you, or something. You could be a bad guy, <laughs> an easy level bad guy in Sentinels of the Multiverse. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It always fascinates me whenever I've li- so I've listened to um, I think most of your podcasts. I'm a regular subscriber um, to your board game podcast and your movie podcast. In case folks don't know, we had three folks that did it, uh, and I lost a very close friend to uh, liver complications, and uh, he was one of the three folks that did it. Uh, so that left two of us not quite sure how to proceed. But we're actually recording uh, on this Sunday night. So oh, I don't know if it's something hear. that we'll keep doing. I don't know if we'll find our stride without our, our friend Christian, but we're going to give it a shot and see what happens on, on Sunday night. So I, I was devastated when I heard that news. He, he truly was our generation's Brando. <laughs> he would love that you said that, Dan. <laughs> um, so I hope it goes well for you and Kelly. Thank you. Thank you so much. But sir, I'm sorry, I cut you off. You, you were starting to say uh, about the podcast in the background. I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, no. So, I, so I've listened to your podcast for a number of years, and I am always tickled when you mention anything theological. I, I think it was an interview. Were you talking to the designer of Spirit Island? And you, uh, you, you elbowed him a little bit about him calling them spirits instead of gods. Right, right. And um, even just that... Because the first thing that we mentioned, first time we played through, and I said, well, these are spirits, not gods. And my friend Jeff turned to me and he's like, so what do you think about that? And I go, they're gods. Right. <laughs> these, are, these are gods. These aren't mere spirits. Even the Romans wouldn't call these spirits. Right. It was just very exciting. So, so what made you 
Uh, so I'm interested. Here, here's my question. I'll phrase it as a big question, and you can answer it as you see fit. How okay. did you go from uh, master of theological studies to being an actor? Uh, and people may not know you've acted in the West Wing, uh, briefly in the office, to being a video game critic. What is that? Okay. That that's an interesting character arc. Sure, sure. I actually. Um... This is going to sound silly. There was a an arbitration between a video game designer and publisher at a certain point. This was yeah, 15 years ago. Uh, and I was called in as a, quote, expert witness because I'd written a favorable <laughs> review of the video game. And the designer wanted me to attest to the like creative integrity of the video game. Anyway, it was a dispute between a designer and a publisher. And I got called in as a, quote, expert witness to attest to the quality of the video game uh and in an arbitration it's just lawyers and a, an arbitrator basically a judge but he's not he doesn't look like a judge he's just a guy sitting at the table uh discussing the dispute and then they ask you questions because you're like a witness um at a certain point uh the the arbitrator fella uh arbiter or is that what am I thinking of something from Halo? Is it an arm? Whatever. The, this the, is the, your this is your character arc. I can't answer that question <laughs> for you. Well, the guy who's presiding over this arbitration, whether you call him an arbitrator or an arbiter, I'm not sure. But he completely veered off of talking about the video game to ask me, I see that you have a degree in in uh in religion, but you also write about video games. Tell me how that, like he was completely, <laughs> he was fascinated by that, which I thought was goofy because I, it's my life and it doesn't seem like a big deal. And I just felt really bad for everyone else in the room that this arbiter, arbitrator, whatever you call this guy, wanted to talk about this silly thing. Um, <laughs> so at any rate, I, this is all by way of saying, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm happy to talk about it, but to me, it's very uninteresting. Basically, I was studying religion, and I got to the point where, looking ahead at my life, I knew that it was going to be like what you must have gone through to get a PhD, because that's what I intended to do with my religion degree. And I decided, I don't think I'm ready for this. Uh, and the thing that I was doing with my free time at that point was uh, student plays, I'm doing theater. Oh, okay. So that was just kind of my interest when I decided... I don't think I want to go into academics. Uh, so I was doing theater and I moved back to my home state of Arkansas and did community theater in Little Rock. And an actor, just someone who wants to, that that's just not a good place as an outlet for, for creativity, for, for an actor is in a place like Little Rock. So naturally I'm like, I'm gonna move to the big city and I was gonna move to Chicago and do theater there, but something changed at the last minute. So I moved to L.A. instead because I have some family here. Uh, and so I was an actor here. And the funny thing is, Dan, is I never quite thought of myself as, a, as an actor so much as someone who wrote about games who would every now and then get a really cool gig uh, working as acting. Hmm. Because I've been writing about games for as long as basically they've been written about. Um, so when I moved here and I would go out for auditions and every now and then get a little tiny role or something and be really excited, my friends who were also doing that, they would have to work as, as waiters or whatever and catering. And I was lucky enough to, I would do acting and then to support myself, I would write about video games. Um, because that's what I grew up with. I mean, I don't know how old you are. How old are you? I'll, I'll throw that out there. How old are you, uh, Dan? I am 33. 
Oh, you kids these days. So I grew up on the cusp <laughs> of like video games really coming into themselves. I mean, I grew up just I remember the Christmas where I saw commercials for an Atari 2600 and my heart just ached so hard for that because I'd, <laughs> I'd been going to uh, arcades and spending quarters on Space Invaders. And so I grew up with video games and I grew up um, deeply interested in them. Uh, and so I as, as a writer, I always wanted to write about them. And so that's how a guy who was studying theology decided, nope, not ready to do a Ph.D., then floated off into do this silly theater thing, ended up in L.A. and lucked into a couple of very small TV gigs um, and was writing about games the whole time. And has since, by the way, every now and then someone is like, oh, are you, are you still acting? That's out of my system. The whole – and by the <laughs> way, anybody who wants to come to L.A. and be an actor, oh, no, 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 please don't. I mean it. it is such a grind. It was one of the easiest things I ever stopped doing. <laughs> So it sounds to me like you are almost exactly like Barry in that while he hit man's to pay for his acting career, you did video games. I love that, Dan. <laughs> Very, I, I would love to think of it that way. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up with video games as well, uh, just to defend my youth. Um, mine was well, the what was the go ahead like what was the harshest because come on space invaders on the atari 2600 what was the most primitive video game when you were growing up okay so here's my example mm -hmm. um now this is not the most primitive game the most primitive game was uh just super mario brothers that's the oh game that boy people were oh so right because see people still play super mario brothers nobody still plays space invaders on the atari 2600 well, okay so that's go ahead true. Give, that's me, true. give me your so bona fides yeah. here i uh i live nearby to my uncle his name is craig and uh he likes to tell a story about me where um my parents went out of town um on probably a like a sex vacation or something. Whoa! Wait and, a minute. I already have a picture of your mom, and you're screwing it up. Stop that. Yeah, don't picture my mom that way, Tom. And um, don't picture her either way. <laughs> it, it, you will be wrong in both directions. Um, but so I, I had to stay with my uncle Craig for mm -hmm. for the week, and he tells the story that he heard a whimpering at night, and he came downstairs, you know, he doesn't want to deal with someone else's kids, but there I am, he has to, and and I'm crying, and he says, uh, Dan, what's what's wrong? And I said, I, I miss my mom, and I miss my house, and I miss my Sega Genesis. And he okay. loves telling that story because I didn't mention my dad, um, who oh. actually he works with. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I too have felt that yearning, Tom. Right, right, right. What was the game, uh, that, that made you get a Sega Genesis or was there a specific game or it's just, this is the current cool system I'm getting it. It, so it was, um, it was a few things. It was that my cousins already had an SNES. Um, and uh, I right. read an article that said that it could, the Sega Genesis could display more colors. <laughs> Right. Which which was um, which was a bit of a coup for me being three years younger than my cousins um, that I had the system that could show more colors. You showed them up. Right. Right. Yeah. And to this day, actually, they've got color envy about that. So does your video gaming 
segue at all, and I should say, of course it does. I mean, how does your video gaming segue or dovetail or fit with your board gaming? Oh, it is such a distraction. So I, I don't write about video games. Um, I, I, I did a little bit years ago. Um, it's just that that industry is a mess. Um, and so it was kind of hard to there was no one I wanted to write for. Um, nowadays, it's really just a distraction. So, for instance, um, okay. fans of my site may have noticed that the last two weeks my productivity has dropped off. I haven't I haven't dropped as Can many I guess? reviews. Can I guess what you're going to say? Yes. Please don't tell me you're playing Animal Crossing. I am not. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, I actually just finished, and I'm glad to have it out of my system, Doom Eternal. Oh, yeah, yeah. High five. I just now finished that as, as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, re I read your review. Um, and I agree with many of your conclusions that uh, I don't know why there was a story. <laughs> right? They love their story, though. Yeah. And yeah. there was a lot of reading for a Doom game. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird to get a lesson on phonics and the pronunciation of ancient sentinel races' names when I just want to splatter some, you know, some revenants. Uh, I have four words for you, Dan. Hold R to skip. <laughs> yeah, I, I so I've actually played through it twice, um, and I didn't get any story the second time. Yeah, and see? It, and it was 200% better. <laughs> so no, there's not much connection. Um, now, my, my first impression of you, Tom, um, and you may have heard this before, is that I knew you as that guy who gave Deus Ex a bad score. Right, yes, yes, I... I get a lot i get that a lot right <laughs> are you sick of hearing that actually no no i mean i i i don't i'm not saying i wear it as a badge of honor or anything but i think it's kind of cool that I, I mean normally people use that as a way to dismiss something that i've said and i know you're not doing that but i think it's kind of cool that that there was this just really beloved game that everybody liked and all the reviews were like oh this is awesome but that some people read my review and remembered maybe not for any other reason than uh, Tom Chick's a jerk, but that remembered <laughs> that there were, that not everybody loved it and that there were some complaints about it. Um, because I think that's an important part of, of criticism is uh, not everybody's going to like something. It's always weird to me when something has, you know, like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, which gauges the percentage of the reviews that are positive. It's always weird to me when something has universally positive reviews, because I kind of feel that, most entertainment, whether we're talking about books or, or games or movies, there should be a range of opinions. And yeah, on a lot of things, the range will skew one way or the other. But this idea of universal acclaim for something just always seems strange to me. So I'm kind of flattered that yeah. sometimes people remember that I didn't like a, a universally acclaimed game way back in the day. Yeah, I so I agree with you wholeheartedly. I've I, There's nothing more flattering to me um, then when somebody reaches out, uh, whether it's, they're leaving a comment or they drop a note and they say your negative review of this game really indicated to me that I would like it. Right, right, right. Exactly. And, and, and to me that that's the, that's the surest sign that I've succeeded in, in my tone and I've expressed the game well enough that even though I didn't enjoy it, um, the writing has succeeded enough that, that they, they think they can get into it. Right. And by all means, you know, I hope you have, I hope it's the best game ever for you. The thing that I consistently uh, 
try to tell people, Dan, and this is, I, I think a lot of people aren't used to hearing this from people who review anything, whether it's games or movies or books. But the thing that I always have felt strongly about is my review, something that I write, is never intended as the gauge of that thing's quality. Uh, it's all about my experience with it. And if I can communicate to someone how uh, some sense of how they might feel about it, that's great, whether they like it or they don't. Um, but I never like I don't I would never say that Deus Ex is a bad game um, because I, it just didn't work for me for various reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love that people love that. I think Harvey Smith, I think that guy's a freaking genius. Oh, like, sure. He I just yeah, that guy is amazing. Um, but I didn't like one of his games and i don't intend that to say anything about the level of quality of deus ex so much as it just says things about what i look for in a game yeah right well it ended up being a positive net positive for me um because when i heard that some jerk hadn't liked deus ex which at the time <laughs> i was pretty enamored with um i actually sought out this uh mythical ah. thing this this gem in the jungle and i read it and i went well, no, I agree with most of these points. It's, it's not a perfect game. Um, I don't think he's a jerk. And that was my first encounter with your writing. And I think I followed your writing since then. Uh, now, so where was that published? I don't even remember. Um, I think maybe you Kings don't remember Domain? either. No, I don't. Cause I, that's another thing too, is I, I never, and I think I got, not got in trouble, but I, I never varied the way I wrote based on who I was writing for. So uh, to me, they're all of a piece. Uh, it's just, you know, I, so I think that was for games domain. Okay. Um, but it wouldn't have been any different if it was for, you know, GameSpot or, or uh, computer games, gaming world or what, whatever. But I think that was for an online site. It's no longer around. It's long dead, uh, called games domain. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I think the place that I read your work, uh, the most before you migrated everything to quarter to three was, um, was a, a little known or maybe it was well known but it sure seemed to disappear it was a place called fidget yes the sci-fi channel paid me for a while to yeah basically run a, a blog uh yeah and you had some you had some wonderful reviews on there and then they disappeared um <laughs> and i think they did the right thing like they that was that was a weird situation dan they uh and i don't you know i want to get back to board games because i know that's what we're here to talk about but, but the sci-fi channel basically was like we want to start coverage of video games we want you to be in charge but we want you to do but we want to launch it now so we're just going to pay you every month you just start writing uh entries and then we're going to give you a budget to hire other people and they then proceeded to forget about it and nobody ever gave me a budget and i was always like well where, where is this going and like you know two or three years later they were like oh yeah we're still paying you aren't we yeah we've gone another direction with our whole video game coverage so thanks a lot you know appreciate your your time and, and effort uh, and to be fair they paid me i have no issue with that yeah um but yeah yeah so that was me working for the sci-fi channel which i think they were yeah they were nbc universal back then You've already mentioned a little bit about the way that you approach reviews that you so you don't you don't write for it sounds like anyone but yourself correct correct like i uh i i think one of the weird things and this is just my own weird little hang up is it drives me crazy when a review says you might like this game if such and such or you should really try this game or like I, I hate when a review talks to someone in second person 
when it's clearly written for you know a thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand different people to read. Um, yeah. So I yeah I just write for myself. I try not to make any assumptions about to whom I am talking. Um, also, that's one of the the issues too is people ask, should the price of a game matter? Yes. Like if I'm writing about a board yeah. game, some vanity game like uh, Sandy Peterson's Cthulhu Wars, for instance, takes a lot of money to spend to get into that game. But I would never write, hey, this is an expensive game. Do I think it's worth it? I have no idea because I don't know if the person I'm talking to is a millionaire or someone who is having to spend some of their rent next month you know, and should save their, their money and not buy board games. Like that's not for me to know or for me to address. So I've always not written for an audience so much as just here's here's what I feel. And I don't want to make any assumptions that you would feel the same or that I even know who you are, frankly. I have a list of what I call um, dirty words. Mm, right. Um, and you've, you've already mentioned two of them. Uh, one of them is the you might like this game if... Um, so these aren't real dirty words. These are just words I try to avoid, uh, words right. and phrases. And another one is value. Uh, that's probably the question right. I'm asked most often is, hey, I see this game is only $15. Right. Is there a reason it's that cheap? And I'm going, no, it's it's because it's by WizKids. You know, it, it, there's no reason. Or they say something too, like, yeah, this game's on sale. Should I get it because it's on sale? And I, who knows, you know? I can't tell you to get something when it's cheap because it's the same. It, you know, it's no different when it's fifteen dollars than when it's sixty dollars. It's the same game. Uh, right. So what's different is how affordable to you fifteen versus sixty dollars is. Nothing inherent about the game has has changed. Yeah, value. That's a great dirty word, Dan. I like that. Yeah. What's the, your third um, one, by the way? My third one is fun. Yes, thank you. Thank Just yes. because it it's it doesn't mean anything. It's um, a very lazy word. Yes. Not only is it lazy, but um, so so my group of friends, I am super lucky that I have a group of friends. They they call themselves the Crap Patrol, um, and and we revel in playing games that we don't like. Now, not all the time. Um, we obviously would prefer to play a game we love, mm-hmm. but but the occasional bad game that we can all just sit around and and talk trash about how bad okay, it is. Okay, sure, sure. That's enjoyable. That's fun. That doesn't mean the game was good or that we enjoyed the game itself, but but the process of sitting down with people who are all critically minded, who have all they all are in the same group. We all play 200 new games a year. We're happy to sit down and play a bad game. Dan, I love that you say that because I feel that way about movies and it's never made sense to me. Like the moment you said we play bad games, I was like, well, that makes no sense. But I have no compunction about sitting down and enjoying and bagging on a really bad movie. So from that perspective, what you just said makes perfect sense. I like that. So those are my dirty words. It sounds like you don't like fun very much either. Fun is the worst. It is the absolute worst. Yeah. That's the pull quote I'm going to use for you. <laughs> well, I do hate fun. Well, that's the thing, Dan, is uh, in a critical discussion, the word fun means nothing. If I'm talking to my friends who I know, uh, if I'm talking to people who know me and I say something is, is fun informally, that means something because they know who I am. They know the kinds of things that I like. But in yeah. a critical discussion, you know, if you're talking about the relative merits of different game features or the context of a game, or if you're being critical of design decisions, the words fun and, and conversely boring, they mean nothing and they don't belong in the discussion. Yeah. So I, should, I should add boring here. I'll write that down. I'll add that to my list of dirty words. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it sounds like on the uh, scale, you know, there's this endless debate around criticism that w- that will not die. Um, and I think in part it's because nobody is defining what any of their terms mean. But it sounds like in this debate, you would fall on the subjective rather than objective side. Would that be an I, accurate statement? Absolutely. I absolutely believe that, that uh, well, criticism is a subjective thing because experience is a subjective thing. There is no objective, especially, Dan, by the way, with entertainment. Uh, yeah. Now, I'm going to be, and I, I've been taking a task for this, and I'm fine with that. I know that different people have different opinions, but I don't think that games are art. Uh, I'm fine with thinking of games as entertainment, but with things like entertainment and art, there is no objective assessment about whether something is good. Entertainment and art is entirely subjective. If you're talking about consumer goods, how long will this toaster last? What what uh, you know? What features does this iPhone have? What kind of mileage does this car get? Yeah, that stuff is objective. But in the realm of art and entertainment, everything is subjective. So absolutely. So this is something I've, I've considered asking you before, but do you feel like there's a line? Um, this might be a little bit of a wanky question, but um, between a, like a review, a reviewer and a critic. Um, I've always been a little uncomfortable thinking of myself as a critic because criticism, um, you know, not, I don't think necessarily there needs to be a difference, but for me there is in that I think of criticism as veering more academic and review as veering more informal. And mm-hmm. I've always thought of myself as veering informal. Uh, I will catch myself sometimes getting academic and sometimes I'll indulge that. Um, but just to me, the way my ears hear the word, the way I use the words, I think of criticism as something academic and reviewing as something informal. And, uh, you know, my, my primary passion is actually movies. Uh, the way that I would illustrate this, these people are both uh, revered and they should be revered. Uh, I think Roger Ebert is a reviewer and Janet Maslin is a, mm. a critic. So it's, uh, you know, it's, Okay, even that's a subjective thing is how you use words. Um, but uh, yeah, I do think there's a difference, and I've never thought of my, myself as a critic. That's interesting. What, what's, what's your take on that? Like, are you are you a board game critic? You know, so I've re- I've been writing about this a little bit, but it's it's very speculative, in the sense that I, I I've done some informal polling. <laughs> Uh, there is no uh, think tank on earth that would accept this as a valid poll just asking so what do you think a critic is uh versus a reviewer and i've gotten a number of responses and i've written an article about that just saying so here's here's the 10 things that people say a critic is um the reason i'm i'm curious about it is because uh and i i don't i don't mean to toot my own horn that's not my intent here um but a lot of people have said to me um that in this hobby uh I'm like the only critic, right? Which which elicits two two thing two thoughts for me. Well, no, three. The the first is well that thank you that's very kind of you to say. The second is I should really figure out what a critic is. <laughs> and the third, it's if that's true, this is this is dire for our hobby. Uh, I am definitely on board with that third thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, normally you're you're right. Like it's just my own personal requirements for what those words mean. But uh, I. You know, being called a critic is is generally like a compliment from people. Uh, And I do think, by the way, that the state of criticism, uh, 
uh, of looking at design decisions. I think that board game criticism is in dire straight. Like I don't, yeah. I don't think there's any meaningful criticism going on. Uh, and and I'm I'm talking about as far as the big commercially consumed stuff. You know, the guys who do videos and the the larger sites. There are guys like us who definitely I think have a more critical eye towards board game design, but just as general consumption, I just think it's in a terrible state. I, I think that partly because board gaming is in the middle of a kind of a, a renaissance and in the context of that renaissance, it's still in its infancy. I think that the state of discourse about board gaming is also very much in its infancy. And that infancy, when people write about board games, is generally just cheerleading. So I feel as though you're you're a veteran critic in the digital games industry, or reviewer. <laughs> I just I, 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 again, that was a compliment. Thank you very much. That's very kind um, of you, Dan. <laughs> so so now that you're now that you're here, and sometimes you write about board games. As you look in on on this hobby, it, it sounds like you you don't have a favorable impression of exactly that the critical work that's being done. Right. But partly because too, Dan, because I do have a favorable impression. Um, the thing I was talking to you before about, like, the video game and board gaming dovetailing, uh, for me, there's there's no more difference – and this is – I'm not sure how far I would go with this, but I'm going to float it anyway. There's no more difference between a board game and a video game than there is between something I play on my PC and something I play on my PS4. They're just platforms mm -hmm. uh, because, to me, game design is game design is game design. This act of entertaining someone with something interactive that creates a sense of uh, – and I didn't come up with this. I wish I could remember who did. But that creates a sense of enjoyable frustration. Uh, mm. You know, you, you that is the same in video games and board games. Uh, and uh, I forgot where I was going with this, but basically the state of discussing design in board gaming, uh, I, I wish that the, the way that video games are discussed – I wish that board games had kind of reached that level as well. What are what are lessons that those of us toiling in the board game sector could learn from the video game side of things? If you really like something, don't hesitate to be critical of it. Uh, because the games, when I don't like something, it's generally, it, I'm more passionate about it when it's in a game that I like. Um, the things that you like, be analytical towards them rather than just enthusiastic. Uh, you know, take apart that enthusiasm, uh, question it even, uh, and also question, you know, what things are holding that enthusiasm back. Um, I think so often people, and this is the case with just general discussion, and it's a natural human trait, but when somebody likes something, their inclination is to defend things that they feel that are negative that are said about it. But when I like something, I feel it's really important to consider the things that may be negative about it. Uh, and I just wish that more board games that were like universally acclaimed, for instance, that people would be willing to be critical of it without feeling like being critical is something you only do towards something you don't like. Mm -hmm. uh, be willing to say mean things about stuff you love, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Because that's the thing too, Dan, is the games that I don't like – I kind of couldn't care less about their design decisions. Um, it's the games that I do love that I'm like, well, why, why did this get done that way? Why did this get done that way or the other way? So, yeah, I was discussing with a friend um, just earlier 
today and across the past few weeks, something related to that in that there's a critical quandary almost in that we enjoy writing about good games uh, and analyzing them. And we enjoy writing about bad games and analyzing them. But there's nothing as frustrating as a well-received mediocre game. Right, right. That I, I, I have nothing to say about it. It's yeah. fine. It's systems work. It's mathematically sound. Uh, every action will take you like tapestry. Um, every action will take you inexorably toward a destination and great. It, it, it functions. There's, but that doesn't mean that I have anything to say about it necessarily. So, so, so here's where, because uh, I, I love that you, you bring it up this way. Um, when a game is mediocre, like like that, like you're describing. When you say, yeah, it does things just fine. Um, to me, and this is another important part of, I think, the, the critical discussion of a form of entertainment. To me, something that is mediocre is kind of bad because what you do, like, that's another thing, too, that a reviewer or certainly a critic needs is context and a breadth of experience. Like, I love that your crap patrol plays games that you don't like. It really frustrates me when I hear someone talking about a game analytically and they clearly aren't aware of its competition or other games that do yeah. something similar. You know, if someone picks up a dungeon crawl and they're like, wow, this is really cool and I like it and I love these and they haven't played other dungeon crawls, that's not a critical discussion. That's just someone discovering something new and cool. Um, so uh, I, to, to me, mediocre games – they are in the same space as really good games. And if they can't rise to the level, if in context they aren't they, – they don't offer the same level of experience as a good game, I think that that's a bad game. Like it's not succeeding at what other games have, have done. So for me, a mediocre game might as well be a bad game in a way. Yeah. And that, that's another thing too, Dan, is – that's also the least interesting kind of writing. And as you touched on before, we want to write about the things we don't like. We want to write about the things that we do like. Yeah, when we're like, I can't, if I just can't muster any passion one way or the other for something, I just know that what I write isn't going to be interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. And a lot of, again, video game criticism will try to fall into that middle ground and they just end up describing features. Uh, and that's, I can get that from the back of the box. I can get that reading the rule book. So from my perspective, one of the reasons that I prefer writing about board games to video games is just the sense that it's a new frontier. Uh, mm -hmm. and obviously board games are older than video games. They're, they're older than film and literature. Um, I feel like board games are the one that really deserves our attention, uh, at least historically speaking. And, and I feel like they'll be here when the lights have gone out. But in so many ways, the reason I like writing about board games is because I look at the video game industry and it feels exactly like you're saying where everyone is qualifying. You might like this game if, yeah. and at least in board games, there's a small group of people that I feel like are really trying to wrestle with this, this thing that is so intensely subjective that it isn't just you and the artifact, it's you and the play group and the artifact. Um, you know, I've had, I've had experiences where I sat down with a game and I have uh, an old friend who I love dearly, but he and I feud endlessly at the game table mm -hmm. and um, we just infuriate each other and we can be in a great mood. And then the instant we play a game together, we're in a bad mood. 
Is it about um, rules or is it about like what games you each prefer? No, it, it's, it's about us. It's about that we knew each other in high school and that we, okay. and that we compete at this, okay, sure, at sure. this weird, it's, it's written into our helices to compete. <laughs> um, and, and we, the magic circle just, it has too many uh, perforations in it to mm -hmm. really function anymore. Um, and, but I love that about board games, that analyzing them isn't just analyzing uh, my expression with the artifact, but also my expression with the people that I'm, I'm sitting down and playing with. Um, and I, I find that fascinating. And I'm just, to me, even though so much of our critical work is not critical work, it's just cheerleading, as you've pointed out, I, I really get excited by the few people who I feel like are doing really exciting things with board games um, but it sounds like from your perspective that that situation is inverted from the video game scene. Yeah, 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 definitely. Because video games, uh, you, you know, Sony doesn't make board games. You know, Microsoft isn't making board games. I mean, they're, they're just commercially speaking, uh, video games are just so much more advanced as an as an industry. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, that's a, a big part of it. You know, in, in video games, there's just a, a lot more commercial crap. Uh, the crap in board gaming tends to be indie stuff. Uh, yeah. And also the, the barrier to entry too. Like in a video game, you've got to know how to code and you need an artist and, you know, anybody can make a board game proto prototype. And a lot of people who have played board games think, yeah, okay, I'm going to make my own board game. Barrier to entry is a lot lower, uh, in, in board games. Um, so yeah, there, you know, it, it's not entirely. And also just what you were talking about too, with, you know, I need my friends to play most board games. I don't need them to play vid, uh, video games. So yeah. there is that social component. And I do love what you said, too, like about your friend, because I have. And, and Dan, I, I'd be curious what you think about this. I try to divorce the social context for a board game from a critical discussion about that board game, because there have been and, you know, you know, we. We buy, we get so many board games that we play one or two times and then we're done with it. We never, yeah. it never comes off the shelf again. But what if in those one or two times, it was an unpleasant experience because I was playing with someone who is disruptive or who I don't like, or what if it was a pleasant experience, not necessarily because of the game, but because it was with an old friend I hadn't seen in a long time. Yeah. You know, what if, you know, what if I only played Tapestry twice and both times it was with, you know, a buddy from college that I hadn't seen in 20 years and we clicked again and we played Tapestry twice and I I'm, I, I hate Tapestry. You, I think, are a bit more forgiving <laughs> for it. But what if I played Tapestry twice with him and I loved it? Uh, like that's kind of weird, but that could happen. I could see that. Uh, so for me, that whole social context that you're talking about, uh, I, I kind of – I puzzle about how does that affect the critical discussion? And I don't, I don't have an answer to that. So I have two thoughts. Um, the first is that I have to disclaim that I do not like tapestry. Uh, I just you, have to defend myself. No, you were all like, yeah, you inexorably always make something. Do you sounded like you were being slightly apologetic for it. So here, here's the thing, Tom. Uh -huh. uh, tapestry, I was the first negative review of tapestry. Ooh, and that's, that's a good claim. No, that's yeah. good. And I have never received so many death threats as I have for Tapestry. Wow. 
so I don't have your credentials, but that's my only credential is that I've received random death threats for not liking tapestry. Now, when you say – because this always fascinates me. When you say death threats, like that's just someone being a dick on Twitter, right? No, like, no. I, I've, had, I've had people uh, send messages that have said, hey, you're in you – know, and they are dicks. Um, but also they throw in, if I see you at a convention, I'm going to – Oh. Take your teeth down your throat, that kind of thing. Right, right, which right, always, right. Which always surprises me that that kind of behavior exists in a hobby that is inherently social, right. that we have to, you know, we have to sit down and and make faith with one another within that magic circle that it would attract these people. That's that's kind of scary to hear you say it that way because I never, whenever I got anything like that in video games, it was easy to just dismiss. But because it's inherently social, and because there are things you're talking about like conventions. That's got to be scary because, yeah, there might be some dude at a convention looking for you, and that was never the case for for me when people got out of sorts with video game reviews. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it scares me. I just think it's it, it makes me sad yeah. that someone would uh, misunderstand the function of why I'm writing what I'm writing, and also be so defensive, often of something they haven't even played. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that at least one of the people who wrote to me just said, you know, Stonemeyer games makes great games. And I was going, yeah, sure. I'm right there with you. I, I don't dislike Jamie. Um, I have, I have no beef, beef with Jamie, nor he with me. I, I don't know why you care, but so I don't, I don't think it makes me afraid, but it does make me a little bit. Uh, it makes me look at some of the random people I play with at conventions a little bit differently. Just wondering, Ugh. are you, are you weird yeah. as soon as the anonymity of the internet makes you not behave <laughs> do you respond by the way to the guy the guy who's like yeah stonemeyer rocks i can understand responding to them do you respond to a guy who's like i'm gonna kick your teeth in at the next convention no okay. I, I i don't um that's probably wise too i mean that's probably the the, the the wise choice yeah i i don't respond to certain comments i uh i actually forward those to the police <laughs> oh oh good good so i all generally a lot of my feedback uh, like predate social media, but when I would get email, and I remember too, a guy sending me uh, a picture, and I don't know if it was a picture of him or just a random dude, but it was a picture of someone holding a gun towards the camera, so you could see the barrel of the gun and the guy behind it, mm -hmm. and he sa it said something like, uh, you know, I read what you wrote about Deus Ex, and I'm coming for you, and back then there wasn't social media, that was just an email someone sent me, uh, and I actually tried to respond even to emails like that with something like, I'm really sorry that it upset you, um, but I'm glad you enjoy the game. Just something brief like that. And Dan, nine times out of ten, and I don't think this is the case these days, which says a lot about where the world is, but when that would happen with me, nine times out of ten, I would get a response saying, oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know that you were actually going to reply to me. Uh, mm. I apologize. Like. It's just people like lashing – it used to be, I guess, just people yeah. lashing out, expecting that you're like a faceless machine writing on the internet. But as soon as they get a response and see you're a person, they feel awkward about it, and that was then. I don't think that's the case now, so the guy who tells you he's going to kick your teeth in at the convention, I think it's right to not reply to him. Yeah, you know, I, I have in the past at times tried to reply, and, and I have I wish I could say that I had had any success with that. Um Usually they just get mad again. Mm. I don't know if it's that social media has cankered people, yeah. um, but that's just that's the world I operate in, and so I just have a policy where I don't bother. Did you just say cankered people? Yeah. Nice use of the word. High five. Well done. 
Thanks, Tom. We have to steal that. I feel warm inside. <laughs> um, so what were we talking about when we went on this tangent? Um, when I defended my tapestry cred. Um, whatever we were talking oh, about. Right. The, the oh. social aspect of games. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just speaking personally, um, I know that there are some people who disagree with this pretty significantly. There are uh, some, even some very good uh, reviewers out there who feel this isn't necessary. Mm-hmm. But just personally, I... Um, uh, one of my site policies is if you send me a game that I'm going to review and I make no guarantee that I will review it if it's a random, if, right. if it just shows up in a box, right. maybe, maybe not. Um, but if I request a copy, I will try to review it and I will try to play it three times at oh, least. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. And I, I will try to play it with a different group, a different player count, just to get a sense Good. for, you know, there there are some games that don't function with two players, but they're they're magic with five. And that's just my personal policy. Three times is pretty much, um, I, I feel like there are times when I've played a game and loved it, and three times will reveal that it's not as good. Right, right. Or vice versa. Um, usually past three, if a game hasn't shown me what it's going to show me, it's going to take way more plays than three, and that's my limit. If a game takes 10 plays before it's good, it's not good. Right, right. Dan, I like that a lot because one of the things, and I, I, I try to be gracious about this, but when I play a board game with a, a group and someone in the group, and it's their first time playing it, we're done with it, they're immediately dismissive of it. I'm sort of like crossing my arms, sitting back thinking, well, you, you just played it once. What do you know? Because I kind of yeah. feel like sometimes – it does take those three playthroughs to really understand it. And not everybody should have that prerequisite for forming an opinion. It's perfectly fine to have an opinion after your first playthrough. I shouldn't resent yes, that. I in totally any way. agree. But yeah, but I kind of feel like not that I don't have that luxury, but I don't want to afford myself that luxury. I try not to form an opinion after that first playthrough, still keep an open mind. Whereas a lot of my friends, they're just like, nope, I'm done with this. I don't like it for reasons A, B, and C. It's a crappy game for reasons D, E, and F. And that's fine for them. Uh, and I just need to I need to let them do that when they want to do that. Yeah. That can be intensely yeah. hard. So I, I had an experience with a study in Emerald first edition where I took it to mm-hmm. a convention. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally I wouldn't take it to a convention, but I had a full group lined up that had they had all played it. Um, but at the last minute, one of them had food poisoning and we didn't want to play with four. We wanted to play with five because, uh, I, I love study in Emerald mm-hmm. with five players because it means that one of the teams is going to be overbalanced over mm-hmm. the other team. Um, but then, which maybe seems unfair, but then that means that that team is not going to have as many point opportunities per player. So I was really excited to play it with this group, but one person dropped out. We wanted a fifth. And so we put up the little placard that said players Uh wanted. I can see where this is going, Dan. I I think you can. Someone came up and he said, oh, uh, I only play games that are rated above a seven on Board Game Geek. So hold on. He checks on his phone. He says, oh, it's rated. Okay, well, well, now I can play with you. And then he proceeds to grumble the whole game. And at the end, he starts grousing about the balance. And there's another word that for me is sometimes a dirty word is is balance. Um, It almost never matters in a in a player driven environment. You know, you play root. It doesn't matter if one faction is better than the others. You have multiple players take care of it. So he's talking about the balance in a game where people could have helped out the player in last place. And I and I unleashed on him a little bit, and not to to my shame. I don't feel you good didn't even about know it. the dude. What do but, you care um, what he thought? 
he wasn't really just a random person, Tom. He was the embodiment of all fools who had played a study in Emerald and right. misunderstood Right. No, I understand it. that. Sure. I definitely do. I mean, there are people – I this is – I mean, it's a reality of the social element of board games. But there are people who will destroy the experience. And that's one of my – I am so fortunate, Dan, and it sounds like you're in a similar situation in that I don't have to play with, with strangers. Um just I have enough friends who are into the hobby um, that I I get you know I have I can play board games a, a couple of times a week and that's not a luxury that people have and every time I do it by the way it's with people I know um, but but yeah I mean there there are people and a lot of times this is the case with strangers that you would be have been better off just not playing the game yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think Board Game Geek can go a week without somebody posting a, we have a toxic person in our game group, what right. do I do, thread, and I'm going, well, don't play with them. Yeah. Yeah, but then you got to do the awkward thing of how do you, like, stop inviting that person, and what do you do with that person oh, yeah. who says, hey, when are we playing board games? You just say that everyone in the game group died. <laughs> it's... That's the social media way. You ghost them. You say everyone's dead. You know, I guess I can I tell this story because I don't think the guy is uh, listening. But I used to send out every week, uh, the day before board gaming night, just a reminder. And uh, I built up a big old BCC list of email recipients. And I would send out an email saying, yep, we're playing, coming out tomorrow. Here are the new things I've got. Or, uh, you know, here are the games that I know that somebody wants to play. Uh, and I'd send out that email. And we had someone who started who was a friend of a friend, and normally that's fine. A friend vouches for someone else. Cool. That almost that's almost always fine. But this one case where someone brought a coworker, and that coworker guy was just really I mean, he meant well, but he would constantly talk over other people. He wouldn't pay attention during uh, learning the game. He would just completely check out if he didn't like something. I wouldn't say he was toxic, but he was super disruptive, and it just dragged down gaming night. So yeah. I sent out an email saying, uh, hey, guys, I've been really busy. I'm going to have to cancel Thursday night board gaming. <laughs> I've really appreciated it. Maybe we'll start up sometime in the future, uh, but it's been great, and uh, you know, maybe we'll just have some impromptu game sessions. I'll be in touch. And then I immediately sent out an email to everyone but this other person saying – Sorry, I just needed to call the list a little bit. We are still meeting. So, and it was just that one guy yeah. that got called. So, I, I sincerely hope he's not yeah. listening. And if he is, that he doesn't know who he is. So, Tom, thank you for joining me tonight. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, one of the things that's always impressed me with your writing is it's you have a this beautiful conversational tone. Uh, it always feels like you're right there speaking uh, to me, the reader. And further, you have this affability that is in no way compromised by your firmness of opinion. Uh, and I've always wondered, do you cultivate that? Do you feel like you're just, do you just sit down and write it out? And do you do any other writing? I, I've read, you wrote an essay on uh, your experience with cancer and being that guy at the party right, with the right. cancer. Uh, I think just writing is something that I've always done. And even like as a, even as a little kid, I used to keep diaries. Like I remember like being, I remember as a kid, like even writing short stories, I just, for whatever reason, I think it, it comes from growing up reading too. Uh, I've always written, whether it's as a kid doing short stories or doing horrible teenage angst poetry in high school or writing <laughs> papers in college. It's just always been a form of expression for me. And 
I don't think it's any different in a way from just like talking. I mean, the process is certainly different, but the same person that is ex being expressed in a conversation with someone is the person that's being expressed when I'm sitting at, at a keyboard. Um, so no, I don't know that I cultivate it, Dan. It's just something that I've grown up always doing and I've just gotten, I guess, comfortable with it over, over the years. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, uh, I, sometimes people will ask me and, and I'm really, this is really cool. Like I'm super flattered when people do this, they say, Hey, what's, what are some tips that you think writers should follow? A, because I don't, I, I don't really know. I, I, uh, and I'm flattered that someone would think that I do know, <laughs> but B, I have figured out the answer. Uh, and the answer is if you want to write, read, like, like consuming the, form of expression that you are expressing is the way to cultivate it, the way to make it better, the way to train yourself and, and to learn. Um, so yeah. that is what I've cultivated is I'm just a normal guy talking and I just try to read a lot. Well, is there anything you want to add? Um, I guess I should probably, I'm terrible at this. I am on Twitter at QT3, the letter Q, the letter T, the numeral three. Uh, and I write stuff at a site called quarter to three.com. Uh, if folks want to read stuff I've written, just drop by there. Um, and, and Dan, you've been super kind. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's nice to talk to another person while this lockdown is going on. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Tom. And I'm going to turn it over to my mother. Mm -hmm.